Hello, friends, and welcome to Season 3 of Something to Talk About, a podcast where different women come together to talk about the Word of God and the various ways it applies to our lives. Vanessa and I have already had lots of fun in Seasons 1 and 2, talking through two books of the Bible, Ecclesiastes and James, with dear and wise women, and now we are excited to begin the book of Joshua here in Season 3. Joining Vanessa and me today for our Season 3 kickoff is Kathleen Nielsen, author of the Bible study, Joshua, All of God's Good Promises. Welcome, Kathleen. Thank you. It is so good to be with you. Well, we are delighted and privileged to have you with us today. Listeners, we highly recommend you purchase Kathleen's study on the book of Joshua. We plan to reference it often this season. You can find it anywhere you purchase Bible studies. Yeah, Kathleen's no stranger to First Prez. Um, we've done lots of her studies, and we're excited to continue that trend of excellent Bible studies uh, with Kathleen, uh, the study of Joshua. And uh, Kathleen has authored many Bible studies, and uh, she has directed and taught Bible studies at churches, speaks at conferences, retreats nationally and internationally. She's the former director of the Gospel Coalition's Women's Initiatives, and she teaches, um, I think, you, do you still teach at the Charles Simeon Trust? Yes, from time to time, indeed. Absolutely. And so in their workshops for women on, on biblical exposition. And so Kathleen is no stranger to Bible study. And so we're just thrilled to have you join us today. So Kathleen, tell us a little bit about your family and describe to us uh, a luxury you would have a hard time going without. One of the things we always do, and we and season three is no different, is we start with our favorite question of the day. So as you introduce yourself, tell us a little bit about a luxury you would have a hard time going without. Oh, that's a hard question. <laughs> All right, I'll talk about my family first. Um, I love that question. Um, I have been married to my wonderful husband, Neil, for... Let's see, 43 going on 44 years. That's awesome. It is awesome. I'm so grateful, so thankful for him. I would not be here doing this right now if it hadn't been for his amazing encouragement of me through the years. Uh, he is presently in Indonesia uh, as we speak, uh, where we both usually spend a great deal of time. Neil works there with some amazing Indonesian people who have a network of schools and hospitals and businesses. Uh, one of our three sons and his wife and their little one-year-old daughter live there in Indonesia, which of course makes it really wonderful for us <laughs> to go there. Uh, our other two sons and their families live not far from us in the Chicago area with, uh, let's see, seven grandchildren between them, ages 10 years, all the way down to two months. Wow. So, yeah, we are so blessed <laughs> to enjoy spending lots of time with all of them. Uh, I'll just mention it's a big part of my life. I also care for my 94-year-old mother mm. who lives in Pennsylvania. I am so delighted to be finally allowed to resume my monthly uh, in-person visits with her. So I'm at that interesting stage of seeing God's hand, you know, on generations both before and behind. It's great. That's precious. Luxury. Okay. Uh, that's such a hard question. I know. It is hard. It is a hard question. Um, but let's just say you might hear me complaining if I miss my morning coffee or my morning allotted two cups of coffee, which I'd call a luxury in which I'm quite attached to. <laughs> do you do them back to back, Kathleen? Do you drink one right after the other? Right after okay. the other. <laughs> and then you're, you're ready for the day. 
That's exactly right. That is awesome. I, I think it's so cool. We were talking right before um, we started recording that you've got three sons and eight grandchildren and only got a, uh, a grandson in the last one. So That's lots exactly of granddaughters right. and three sons. That is just such a cool dynamic. It's, it's lots of fun and very lively, I must say. <laughs> And I told you when we were talking before, too, that I resonate with the three sons, and I would love to get some granddaughters out of that <laughs> in about 10 years. Not, not, not before. Not right now, Amber? No, well, the oldest is 16, so yeah, let's right. wait on that. Let's wait a little, a little bit. All the little girls. It's, it's such a delight. Oh, I bet it is. Well, Kathleen, I know that you've authored several books, and I know if you write books, then you probably like to read books. So what's been the last book that you've read just for pleasure? Hmm. You know, just the other day, I was looking up a poem um, called Introduction to Poetry by a poet named Billy Collins. I don't know if you ever heard of Billy Collins. He was for a few years uh, the Poet Laureate of the United States. He's published a number of delightful books of witty, artful, sometimes a little edgy poetry, but um, poetry made up of just the concrete, ordinary stuff of everyday life. Mm. Uh, he did actually a live poetry reading at, at Covenant College during the years my husband and I uh, were serving there. And I've enjoyed his poems ever since. Well, I found the poem I was looking for and I picked up the volume of poems titled The Trouble with Poetry. And I just got lost in it and um, spent, ah, uh, too many hours reading through his poems, which made me laugh out loud, and many of which took me to places far away, which is so good for our minds and our hearts. So that's the most recent book that I've read for pure pleasure. That That is awesome. I, you know, I, I know that a lot of your training is in literature. And so um, does that inform how you write, you think, all of your training as far as your imagination and um, the other genres that you engage, does that help with your Bible study writing? Because that's so, that can be so concrete. Yeah, I, I am really grateful for that literary training. And I do think it makes a big difference in how we talk about the literature of the Bible. I mean, the literature of the Bible is the most amazing, diverse, uh, just remarkable literature anywhere. And so I'm grateful for that training, which has taught me how to ask questions of a text. Um, when I think of teachers who've influenced even my Bible teaching, um, I think of a high school English teacher who showed me how to love and relish words. You know, mm -hmm. he was the kind of teacher who just sort of loved the literature right there in front of us. And it was catching. He'd read a lot of poetry out loud. And I'm really grateful uh, ever since for his teaching. Um, because he helped me love and relish words and it helped me ever after to read and teach with delight the words of the Bible, the amazing, beautiful words of the Bible, especially the poetry of the Old Testament. So yeah, I think in many ways that background, um, God's just graciously allowed me and um, hopefully used profitably. Yeah. No, very much so. When did you, Kathleen, when did you make that connection in, in ways of knowing you loved literature and then realizing that you love to study and to teach and to write on the Word of God? Mm -hmm. uh, they, they were, for a long time, kind of parallel tracks. I, I studied literature and thought that I would give my life professionally to teaching literature in college, which I did for a while. But all the time, I was just loving studying the Bible from a young, from a young age. And um, leading Bible study groups and things like that. And um, there did come a point 
uh, where I had to make a choice between applying for a full-time teaching position, which really would have consumed uh, most of my working time. And on the other hand, pursuing ministry and writing Bible studies, which I was already starting to do and teaching and speaking and things like that. And my husband and I sat down, talked it over, evaluated um, my gifts and my calling and um, God's calling on my life. And, and I chose the ministry route and I have been so grateful ever since, but did find those two routes coming together uh, after that in beautiful ways. Um, when, when I study the poetry of the Bible, especially, or the literature, I mean, we'll talk about narrative with, with Joshua. Uh, it's so fun to call attention to the beauty of the way uh, these books in the Bible are put together. And I think that is not an extra. That actually is a very important and often overlooked way of understanding, receiving mm -hmm. this inspired that God has given us. Absolutely. So you've, you're, you're already leading us down this road. Um, why the book of Joshua? What, mm -hmm. what, what prompted uh, your wanting to tackle that one? Yeah. Uh, well, th this study, like many of my studies, was written originally for my own church women's Bible study at the time. I think we had recently um, finished studying Exodus, and we thought Joshua would, would carry us on well mm -hmm. in the biblical story, which of course it did. Right. And we'll probably talk more about that. But I'll just add a quick word about the joy of writing for your own church yeah. and for your local congregation. I often advise women who want to author studies um, to begin close to home, you know, ideally with a few in their own congregations where they can learn and grow firsthand with. Uh, concrete feedback and support of pastors and personal involvement in the ministry of the word. For Joshua in particular, I just always love the stories yeah. of Joshua. You know, not just the action-filled stories of Jericho and the sun standing still and all that, but the stories of people, you know, people like Rahab, remarkable Rahab, and Joshua's mysterious meeting with um, with the commander of the Lord's <sighs> army. I love that. Yes. And, you know, spirited Caleb. The older I get, the more Caleb mm. really inspires me. And even the little glimpse of Zalafahad's five daughters. Do you yeah. know that little yeah. event? Yeah, yeah. On and on. You know, such a rich array of figures peopling this book. Yeah. And well, that's always attracted me. So I was really delighted to to have the chance to work on a Bible study in the book of Joshua. That's awesome. How, how would you say that your perspective of the book grew as you dug into it? Yeah. Um, one observation about Joshua himself, um, he's this amazing leader, which we all know, but I think what struck me most about Joshua as I worked on this study was that his leadership at heart centered in his obedience to God's word. Um, he doesn't appear in the book as some shining battle hero, you know, as you might expect. That's really not the emphasis of the book as you read it. Um, the book of Joshua, as you know, comes at a at a crucial point in scripture. It comes right after Moses has written down God's word in the Pentateuch, uh, the books of the law. And so now this is a people of the book 
and they've been given God's word. They're called to trust and follow it. And that is what Joshua leads them to do all the way through. So the book starts in chapter one with God's words. The Lord speaks to him and tells him what to be careful to do mm -hmm. according to all the law that Moses, my servant, uh, commanded you. Don't let this book of the law depart from now. Um, so that's what Joshua sets about doing, following God's word. Now, his obedience, of course, wasn't perfect. He will talk about this too, I'm sure, points us forward to the Joshua to come, the one who perfectly obeyed the law, um, perfectly followed his father's commands when we were not able. Uh, so that that's one thing that has really struck me in this book, the emphasis on uh, God's word and um, on this being the part of the story where they have been given the law, the, the books of Moses, the word written down. And their job now uh, isn't to go do something new. It's to live out that word that God gives to them. Absolutely. And you find yourself just really rooting for Joshua throughout mm -hmm. as you keep seeing the Lord's faithfulness and giving him, uh, you know, I'll be with you as I was with Moses. I'll be with you. I'll be with you. Um, and then we, we shudder a bit when he deviates because we want to see him triumph. We want to see um, all of the promises fulfilled. Um, you, you pointed to the greater Joshua that's coming, but what are some themes that we'll see repeated throughout this book? Uh, some themes we'll see. Let's see. First of all, I mentioned God's word, and I might say that first. Mm -hmm. um, uh, his word is sure. It never fails. His promises are sure. Um, in the scope of redemptive history, what we're seeing here in the book of Joshua is the completion, uh, in one sense, of his promises. His promises all the way back to Abraham. So from, from Abraham has come this great nation, blessed by God's hand and uh, by God's word given to them. And now they're receiving the final piece of God's word, God's promise, the, the land. And so this book shows God's word fulfilled. That theme of the land mm -hmm. is one to look for all the way through uh, a place, a place that God promises his people. Uh, in Joshua, the focus is on the, the promised land of Canaan called a land of rest. But uh, we know that land is pointing us to a, a greater place uh, where we know the rest of salvation and the rest of living forever in God's presence. Um, you'll be looking at Hebrews 4, I have no doubt, mm -hmm. where it says, if Joshua, you know, if Joshua had given them the rest, then God wouldn't have spoken of another day yes. later on. Uh, so, you know, it's it's this place, this theme of the land, um, other themes, uh, certainly God's judgment of sin is an important theme in the book. This is a hard part of Joshua, probably important to talk about and think about at the beginning as we see um, God's terrible uh, judgment of destruction mm -hmm. on the land mm -hmm. of you know, whose sin we're told has reached full measure. Of course, we also see his judgment of sin among his people with Achan right. and um, that story. Uh, you know, some people critique this book and say it doesn't show us a loving God with all uh, destruction. And I, I love the question that uh, Dale Ralph Davis, do you know his writings? Yes. He's got a wonderful little book on Joshua, but he asks this question. He says, is God 
deficient in his understanding of love or am I deficient in my understanding of holiness? Mm. Yeah, that is so good. So good. I mean, this book makes us think about God's holiness and about his just judgment and about the ultimate reality of coming judgment and really the ultimate realities of heaven and hell. Those are our real problems, right? And the and the, the realities that we need to confront. So we need to think soberly on these things in order to uh, believe them in faith and also in order to grasp the wonder and the urgency of salvation and of God's mercy, which is the other theme that I'd mentioned. Um, that is uh, the theme of God's mercy toward his people. Confronting God's judgment would be just too terrible if we were not also given the truth of his mercy. Yeah, that, that is that is also very well said. Uh, Joshua does a really good job, the entire book, of pointing beyond itself to a greater reality in Jesus. Um, you also uh, inadvertently um, gave uh, a little forecasting to who's coming. And Del Ralph Davis will be joining us to kick off our study of Joshua churchwide. And so thank you for the the, the shout out to Del Ralph Davis. Unintended promo. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. An unintended promo. But yeah, we're super excited. That is the commentary that will be accompanying our study. So yeah, we, we are big fans of Del Ralph Davis. Oh, that's fantastic. I, my, one of my favorite parts, can I just jump oh, in? Oh, please do. Please do. Is uh, the way he talks about uh, the story of Rahab. Um, the story of Rahab is just a work of art. You know, it's this little narrative that's inserted there in um, chapter two, right away. Mm -hmm. And um, Davis says that her chapter is like a sandwich. You know, he's so, he's so fun in the mm -hmm, way he mm -hmm. talks actually the really important literary aspects of uh, the Old Testament narrative. But he says her chapter is, is like a sandwich with these matching outside layers of bread and lettuce, you know, mm. all around the very center, the meat, which is this remarkable speech of faith in which, you know, she declares her trust in the Lord God and she asks for his mercy. It's just the beautiful heart of the story. And he, he shows the shape of that so beautifully and really helps us delight in Rahab, in the details of the way it's given to us, in, in the larger way it's developed in the book. You know, when you get to the story of Jericho, then um, it's so amazing to watch how Rahab's story is sort of wound in mm -hmm. the story mm -hmm. of just, you get judgment and mercy there, just side by side with God's destruction of that city and yet God's plucking of Rahab in his mercy showing his his calling out of a people from all the nations of the world another fulfillment of of his promises to abraham and of course the the delight in rahab grows as you trace her uh story throughout the bible and get to that genealogy right in matthew um etc etc so uh yeah listen for the way he unfolds that story of rahab if you get a chance to hear him talk about it uh. We will. Can't wait. You've, you've certainly whet our appetite for his visit. Yep. And, and what I wish our listeners could see, Kathleen, is your face yes. as you describe all of these elements and themes that, and elements of literature that are in this book that you love mm -hmm. and that you delight in. And I think 
of what it's like to sometimes to talk with my friends about a book I've read and why I have just absolutely loved it. And I'm so excited to share about it. And, mm-hmm. you know, we might find that easy when we're talking about a book off Reese Witherspoon's in that, right? Doesn't she have like a book <laughs> list or <laughs> Beth raises her hand and says, I love it. Uh, we might find it easy to do that there, but we don't always find ourselves just chatting about how thrilled we are mm. about a book in the Old Testament. And maybe that's because culturally we don't know how to read it. Maybe it's because some of the themes are new to us or disturbing to us, and we don't know how to put all those things together. So give our listeners a few pointers. What's unique about studying an Old Testament narrative? What should they expect as they begin? Yeah, it's an important question because we are reading a certain genre mm-hmm. uh, of literature, and um, it's a delightful genre. It's one to really enjoy. I mean, the way the way the book is shaped as an overall narrative from beginning to end. Look for that. It's beautiful. It's got sort of bookends on either end. Um, a framework of the gathering of God's people and the addressing of them first before they enter the land, and then after they've entered and settled. Uh, as Joshua gives them the final words. And then it has these two big, wonderful main chunks of, first of all, taking the land. Um, That's the battle part of the book. And then the settling of the land, which um, at first looks like a boring list of places and names, you know, when you get all the allotment uh, sections. Uh, But but the more you sort of peer into it, the more you see the beauty and the enjoyment of it. Uh, Old Testament narrative is history shaped by God's own breath. Mm, I love that. Yeah. I mean, if we look at it that way, it's this it's this glimpse we get from God's view uh, of redemption's story. Uh, These narratives are a remarkable gift. Human beings naturally, instinctively love stories. We all know, I mean, don't we, does anybody not know the experience of being asked by a child, oh, please tell me a story? Mm. You know, we all have that instinct. And so these God-breathed stories sort of draw us in to see God's hand at work in, in shaping redemptive history. I think scripture stories have a great evangelistic power uh, to them. They do draw people in and they're, they're, when, we, when we're studying narratives, they're great studies to invite friends to because people do naturally uh, get drawn into stories. Stories are concrete. They show us real people in real places with everyday struggles, you know, that, that we fallen human beings uh, can identify with parents and homes and um, work and food and sex and marriage and children and life and death and, and all the rest of it. Um, most of all, though, what do you think I'm going to say? A story has a plot. And, you know, that sounds a little bit like an English class, but it's so amazing and important. Uh, stories are shaped with a beginning and then usually with some kind of conflict mm-hmm. that breaks and then some kind of climax that resolves the story in some way. Well, here's what happens as we read these Old Testament stories through the narrative plots. We begin to glimpse the Bible's overarching plot Mm -hmm. at work. So you know what I'm talking about, the Bible's big story that begins with creation. And then in comes the conflict of the fall. And then there's this building toward the climax of Jesus's death and uh, resurrection. 
And finally, then the promised consummation of Jesus's return. That's the overarching plot that all the little ones reflect in one way or another. So studying the Bible stories helps us understand the Bible's big story with Christ always at the very center and God's hand shaping every concrete detail of it. And then, so Kathleen, when you say that, it makes me wonder then how does Joshua in particular, how does it so to say, mini plot expand on or or shed light on the overarching plot of particularly Jesus's redemption and God's plan from for that since before creation. How how as our listeners are beginning to study and read and they're thinking, where is Jesus in this? Uh, mm-hmm. What would you say to that? Yeah, uh, obviously such an important question. Um, we know that Joshua brings in one sense the completion, as I said, you know, of all God's promises, beginning with Abraham uh, as this nation is settled in this land. And um, Joshua lets us glimpse in one sense uh, uh, the, the kind of uh, kingdom Uh, that writers like Graham Goldsworthy talk about as the unifying line of scripture story. What you have in Joshua is God's people coming into God's place under the rule of God's word. And so you have a little glimpse of uh, really the consummation to come. And yet, we have to say, and yet really, really fast, of course, it's only a glimpse. It's a temporary glimpse. And the book points not back, but it points ahead. It's a, Joshua's a really pivotal book in the scriptures. It, it brings a kind of completion, but not permanently. As we know, things fall apart really fast uh, in the very next book. What? The book of Judges starts out with the words, after the death of Joshua. Yeah. yeah. And we know that book shows the sad reality of sin in a really ugly way. Sin that grows as the nation grows until they actually, um, after the high point of the kingdom, another high, high, high point, um, they lose the promised land. And so this book is the completion of God's promises, and yet it points us far ahead to the need for a better completion, a better deliverer than Joshua, a better land, even than this one flowing with milk and honey, a land of rest that is eternal, that never gets taken away, never corrupted, and that only the final deliverer can bring us into. Joshua is just such a a beautiful, pivotal book in scripture. You know, Joshua's name, Yeshua, mm-hmm. means the Lord saves. And in its Greek form, how is it translated? Jesus. Jesus. Yeah. So the Old Testament Joshua points us really directly to Jesus Christ, the ultimate deliverer. Um, at the end of the book, Joshua dies. His deliverance, so great as it was, was imperfect. But Jesus came and accomplished that deliverance perfectly uh, forever on the cross where he died bearing our sin. Jesus died, but he rose from the grave and he's made a place of what eternal rest for us in the very presence of the Lord. So the Old Testament Joshua points us toward that deliverer, makes us long for him, shows us how God watched over his people from whom this promised deliverer would come through their very seed. Uh, God's word did not fail. So Joshua lets us learn the depths of meaning that 
lie in that amazing summary statement that comes several times, and especially in those last chapters, not one word of all the good promises that the Lord made to the house of Israel had failed, all came to pass. When we look at Jesus, we see the full, the mm. fullest perfect meaning of those promises fulfilled. Kathleen, such a beautiful picture of fulfilled promises and what you're saying about the Lord bringing his people into their home where he is their king and he um, keeps those promises for them eternally. And you think right now in our culture, we're longing for a sense of that, a place of belonging, of safety, of security, of all being well, of peace and unity and several things that we're longing for and we're not finding here. Would you say then that as we study Joshua, how would how would that speak to our cultural moment, do you think, when we're longing for so many of those things and waiting for those to be fulfilled in the Lord? Well, you just said it really, really beautifully. Um, this this longing for a place of rest and of peace that cannot be taken away uh, is answered only in Jesus. And uh, the book of Joshua points us right to that and to God's redemptive plan as he sovereignly worked it out in order to bring salvation to pass in Christ. Um, I, I think this book uh, speaks wonderfully into today's fears, for one thing. Um, we're so fearful, uh, as you say, we're, we're afraid. We're afraid of germs and yeah. sickness and the changing culture around us. And we're afraid for our children and our families and on and on. And the, and the book of Joshua speaks so directly and graciously to those fears, you know, in the very first chapter of those beautiful verses where God sort of over and over tells Joshua, he must have known that Joshua needed, and we need right, yeah. to hear over and over, don't be afraid, don't be dismayed, be strong and courageous because I'll be with you, says the Lord. And ultimately, we know the Lord is with us in Christ who came down, the commander of the Lord's army did come down to save us. And so we truly don't need to fear. The other way I think um, this book speaks into our present cultural situation is that it, it shows us a God who is so clearly in charge of all the nations of the world. He sees them all, he sees their need, he sees their sin, um, and he's calling out a people for himself from all the nations. He directs the course of all their history. He will indeed judge all the nations in the end. So we don't live in a world blown about or, or controlled by evil forces. Uh, we are living out God's redemptive story. He's sovereign. He's merciful. He's directing it all in accordance with his redemptive plan. So when we listen to the news or read the news uh, tomorrow uh, about American politics or Russia or Iran or China or turmoil in the Middle East, think of it. It makes a huge difference to know these truths about our sovereign God charge of all the nations of the world for his redemptive purposes. Amen. Uh, Kathleen, how would you encourage our listeners as they commit themselves to studying the book of Joshua this semester? Oh, I would say, read it, read it, read it. <laughs> Don't read my study. Don't read first the commentaries. Let the words of the text really permeate your hearts and spend time reading and rereading the very breathed out words 
of these stories that God has given us ultimately to reveal himself and his saving purposes in Christ to us. So read it, read it, read it. Look for repeated words and themes, and Joshua will just reward you uh, infinitely as you begin to read and mark it up and, and see the shape of it and find the repeated themes of rest and inheritance and land and promises and God's good word. So that's the main thing I would say. And prayerfully read. Mm -hmm. uh, God breathed out and uh, the very spirit that breathed out these words actually, isn't it amazing, helps us to understand as we read and study. So pray and pray together. And uh, the other thing I'd say is just delight mm -hmm. in it. Mm -hmm. Delight in the stories and in the amazing character of God that is laid out on these pages for us so beautifully. Kathleen, thank you for sharing your infectious joy for the word of God with us. Yes, yes, yes. And I know our listeners will feel that as well. It has been a pleasure. You guys don't get the privilege of watching her express um, this as she's teaching us because we're sitting here just listening and in the sheer delight of what you're saying uh, of the, the word of God. And so thank you for sharing that excitement with us today. Listeners, I know that you are um, blessed to hear this as well. And so want to encourage you, join us back here next week when we dive into the book of Joshua, the first chapter. Take us on an evening stroll around your neighborhood or let us join you for your commute to work. We will be talking about chapter one of the book of Joshua and chapter one of the study. All God's Good Promises by Kathleen Nielsen. And our chapter is called God Gives the Word. So we hope to see you next time. Hope you'll listen in. Sometimes a light surprises the Christian wife she sees. It is the Lord who rises with healing in his wings. When comforts are declining, he grants the soul again. A season of pure shining to cheer it after the 